Good morning. I dropped my pick already. <laughs> if you would please put all those things that are bothering you aside and stand and worship the Lord with us.
house of the Lord. Lift up your hands. Father God, I thank you for this group that's gathered here, Lord. I pray that you would bless those at home. Father God, I pray that you would continue to draw us closer to one another, closer to you, that we would worship you in spirit and in truth. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, I'm just blessed that Austin picked the songs this morning. He's bringing in songs that I haven't thought of for a while. He's bringing in songs I didn't know I knew. That second one, I didn't know I knew that song until we were playing it. It was a good time. And I really enjoy playing these songs. If you have any desire to join us up here playing guitar or spoons or just singing, you're more than welcome. I don't think anyone plays the washboard in here, but if it's done well, it's pretty neat. But we're making a joyful noise unto the Lord, not because we're massively skilled, but because that's re what's required of us, is we're bringing him what we do, whatever we do to the best of our ability. Ah, good morning. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve whom he named apostles. I've titled this sermon this morning, Making Disciples, and I came up with that idea when I was outlining what Lent would look like. And this has been something that I've been, I, I could call it passionate or obsessed or just really consumed by over the past two, three years is uh, what it looks like to make disciples. Because believe it or not, for as many times as the word disciple is used in the Bible, it's hard to get a good definition of what that actually means. Because when someone says disciple, your first response is student, right? When you hear rabbi, even in the Bible sometimes it says, which means teacher. And that's true. But it's a little deeper than all that. But making disciples is something that God actually does command us to do. But most of us couldn't answer what that looks like, which seems like a conundrum. It would be hard to, uh, hard to know how to, how to proceed to make disciples. And I've been very blessed to be part of a program which works really, really well. But that's what it is, is it's a program. Any program you use will work. But I'm, I'm getting this realization, though, uh, as I go, and I've said something about this recently, that I don't want to be someone who lives by programs for the rest of my life. The programs are teaching me how to do these things. But what we should be looking to do as a congregation is making disciples. Be a culture that makes disciples so that I don't need a program to do it. We just show the love of Jesus and we teach each other how to live. Because in essence, that's what discipleship is, is showing someone how to live. Being a teacher is when you tell someone what to do. That's actually my job, uh, you know, five days a week is I tell kids what to know. And then I come here on Sunday morning and I usually pour my heart out with the things God's showing me and hope it applies to you somewhere. 
But if I was a rabbi, I would be showing you how to live. I would be showing you how to live. And that's what discipleship really comes down to. When you're discipling someone, as you are teaching them by showing them. Which, in a way, is easier to teach things when you're showing someone, but it takes a lot more commitment. It's actually easier than trying to come up with the proper words. I love words. Ask anybody that's talked to me for more than five minutes, which is everyone who's ever talked to me, because you can't get away from me in just five minutes. I'm not going to let you go. So I would like to look at what the Bible, what the Gospels say about Jesus' disciples. And I want to throw out something that probably in the back of a lot of your minds is that Jesus is the Son of God. I affirm that. Yes. Yes, he is. And uh, I want to tell you that even in uh, John chapter 10, verse 30, Jesus right out says, I and the Father are one. So Jesus starts, before anything else ministry, he starts with just he and the Father who are one. Now, I am not the Son of God. I am an adopted child of God, sure, but I am not the only begotten Son of God, nor do I claim that everything Jesus says about himself can apply to me directly. However, if we look ahead to Luke chapter 6, I'm going to read uh, verses 12 through 16, and I'm, I'm, it starts right out with something that's absolutely beautiful, and this is absolutely a model that Jesus is showing, because he's a rabbi, he is showing his disciples something really important here, and we read right through it. In these days, he went out to the mountain to pray. All night, he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them 12, whom he named apostles, Simon, whom he named Peter, Andrew and his brother, and James and John, Philip and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot, and Judas, who sometimes called Thaddeus, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. So we can look at how this section of scripture begins. In these days, he went to the mountain to pray. Before Jesus decides from, from his disciples, who's going to be the inner 12? Because some of you, like myself, are under the impression that Jesus had 12 disciples. Jesus had many disciples, and I'll explain that in a second. But Jesus picks 12 to be his apostles or sent ones. This is his inner circle. And each one of them is incredibly important for the spread of Christianity. One of the most important ones is the bad guy, of course, which is Judas Iscariot, in order to carry out the plan that God had in place for his son to die as our penal substitutionary atonement. That's a fancy way to say to die in our place because we're sinners and broke our covenant. Jesus was going to be betrayed by this. One of his closest You see others, like Peter. If you didn't have Peter deny Christ and then be reinstated by a risen Christ, boy, every time you were afraid to say something in the break room at work, you'd really beat yourself up. 
Not to mention Peter became the leader of the apostolic church. So you have, you have these guys. You have two sets of brothers. You have a zealot. I love zealots historically. Zealots were violent people. Zealots wanted to violently overthrow all things Roman. They wanted blood. They wanted Roman blood. That is what a zealot is. They have zeal for their father's house. They want Israel to be a nation. They're going to destroy Rome with the sword. Jesus chooses as his inner group. And then, not by accident, chooses a tax collector, a lackey for the Romans, who Simon the Zealot probably would have liked to kill had they not become friends. an interesting group of guys, but each church history, they all play this massive role that's different than everyone else's. And I was just thinking about this this morning, and this is kind of a pet thing, so you don't have to buy into this. Read it for yourself. As Jesus is dying on the cross, he looks at John. Yeah, John. He looks at John, the disciple that he loves, and he says, this is your mother about his mother, and this is your son to his mother about John. And she goes and lives with John. Now, I'm also under the impression that Jesus has a brother named James and another brother who were pillars of the early church who probably wouldn't have been able to be that active if they had to care for their mother. And John's ministry actually takes off much later than the other uh, disciples. Now, again, this is a pet theory. I can't totally back that up, but I feel like that's because John is taking care of Mary. Writing after everyone else's. But he was able to free up Jesus' family. It's intriguing because the book of James is one of my favorite. And I don't know if James would have gotten written if James had to care for his mother. I don't know. on a timeline, uh, historically, culturally, it's all so deep. But I know, I, uh, I kind of <laughs> took that a place there. But what I think is really worth seeing, and that I can back up, is right here in verse 12, the most important decision, one of the most important decisions that's ever going to be made in human history are who these 12 disciples are, these 12 apostles. And the reason I can tell you that is because you're sitting in church on a Sunday morning. This is one of the biggest decisions ever made in human history. And Jesus spent the entire night beforehand praying. This is a model that we can look at. We rush into things without prayer oftentimes because we're like, oh, we're doing it for God. What's that? Pray this morning. This morning? Oh, well, I dropped the ball there for sure. But we prayer. This is all he came down with them and stood on a level and a great multitude. 
So not everyone in these multitudes is his disciple, but he has a great crowd of disciples. Until my 20s, probably, if you would have asked me how many disciples Jesus had, I would have said 12. There's a great crowd of his disciples and a multitude, people that are just finding out or just want to hear what he has to say. In Luke 9, I know I'm covering a lot, but I think it's, well, it's all important, and I, I just want to get as much scripture as I can. Luke 9, 1 through 9, and he called the 12 together, and he gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. <coughs> now, I have some very godly men in my life who feel that Jesus always physically heals everyone with enough faith. Can I tell you something? Jesus healed them all, as only mentioned or alluded to, four times on four separate events. There are other times when he did not heal everyone. And I think that's really worth mentioning. I have a friend who's very sick who thinks it's his fault. There's nothing I seem to be able to do to convince him that it rains on the just and the unjust alike. He's sure he doesn't have enough faith. And it breaks my heart. But when Jesus sends out his 12, I was under the impression he sent them all in different directions. But it appears that he sent them all out in a group. It's something I'm noticing through the Gospels is Jesus doesn't intend for us to be alone. He intends for us to do this in fellowship with others. So he sends out his 12 with nothing. And they go out and they heal and they proclaim the good news. The kingdom of God is at hand. In the next chapter, after this, we're at this beginning of chapter 10. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them ahead of him, two by two. Again, not alone, two by two. Into every town and place where he himself was about to go. So he sent people ahead of him to prepare them. He sent them out two at a time. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into this harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. If not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking whatever they provide. For the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. 
Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into the streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Something that's really uh, amazing to me is we have a tendency when God is moving that we want to go everywhere and tell everyone. Jesus tells these people that he's sending out two by two, stay in the same place. Don't go from house to house. Stay in the same place. He's creating relationships between the people they're staying with. If you have someone stay at your home, you're going to know very quickly whether you're friends or not. If you meet someone preaching out in the public, you might not really get to know them. But what Jesus actually does here, and I don't know that this is his primary intent, but something that definitely is happening, is his disciples, the 70 or 72 that he sent out, depending on your translation, they're creating a relationship with the people whom they're staying with. Because something that just keeps ringing true, no matter what program you look at, no matter what scripture that you look at, all ministry comes from a place of relationship. There's an old teacherism, they don't care what you know unless they know you care. I'm not talking about fake smiles and hugs for everybody that walks through our door. I'm talking about genuine relationships. If you don't know what hurts someone, you probably don't love them. The one who hears me and the one who rejects you rejects me. So the one that hears you hears me. The one who rejects you rejects me. I'm down on verse 16. And the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. Jesus is saying, if they reject you, they're rejecting me. If they reject me, they're rejecting God. There's a lot of weight to statements like that. And I'm not going to say anything crazy. However, if you're a messenger of Jesus, you are representing Jesus, you are representing the God of creation. Which we can treat that so heavy we can barely move. Or we can treat that so flippantly that no one can tell we're a Christian at all. Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We're supposed to have a joy about this. When God draws you near, it is my fervent belief that he does not willingly give you up. You can dig deeper. I want us to be so full of the zeal to become sanctified people that we aren't always preaching salvation. Salvation is important, and we do need to preach salvation. We need to know that our name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, that Jesus died for us once and for all. 
that if we abide in Him, that He abides in us. We need to be baptized and believe. I stand firmly on that, but we also need to grow. You cannot love someone you do not know. Your love grows deeper as you learn about God. When the 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, don't rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Jesus has given his believers authority to speak for him if we're doing it reverently, reverently and to represent him. We shouldn't be taking joy in any gifts that we have or any giftings or any special talents that God has given us. Our joy should come from our sonship, the fact that God loves us so much that he calls us sons and daughters and that our names are written in heaven. That's what should bring us joy, not the talents he's given us. In the same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then turning to his disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desire to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. If you look back in the Old Testament, all these prophets are rejoicing at a coming Messiah that they never got to see. And they rejoiced and worshiped God. I'm verse 24 there. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and they did not hear it. If I am looking for a pattern, because I like to look for patterns, I teach math. If I'm looking for a pattern, about what it means to make disciples. Well, I've already covered that. It's showing people how to live. But Jesus starts very simply in prayer with the Father. And then he shows everyone what that means. And then he disciples a smaller group while still preaching to the masses. And he equips them and he sends them out. Perhaps that's what discipleship looks like. If we turn to, if I ever refer to my life's blood as a, a, a Bible verse or a section of Scripture, it's either going to be Matthew 28 or Deuteronomy 6. 
We're in Matthew 28. I'm going to pick up at verse 18 through 20. As you are going, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you even to the end of the age. Some of your translations simply say go. Some of them break it down as you are going. I like that phrasing. As you are going. You're going anyway. As you go about life. Martin Luther said a cobbler doesn't show he's a Christian cobbler by putting a cross on a little pair of shoes. He does it by being a good cobbler. By making a great pair of shoes. Now that's a paraphrase. It was originally in German, I believe. But I think there's a lot of wisdom in that. We don't show that we're a Christian businessman because we put a little ichthus on our signs so that churches will call us. You show that you're one of Christ by living it, by doing all work as though it is to God. And when you make a mistake, you make it right. I have a very godly man who works on my house sometimes. Doesn't mean he doesn't make mistakes. He's human. But he's usually pretty repentant about it. <laughs> because like I said, he's a godly man. A phrase in the Great Commission. We seem not to focus on the Great Commission like we should. Baptism is taught as almost optional. I would disagree with that. As you are going, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, this is the hard part, which is the easy part if you're doing it yourself. And teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. That's our part. We're to be disciples that make disciples. Because God has shared with us such an amazing gift, we should be sharing it with others. Through our sanctification and through just our living, our living this life, we should be making disciples. We should be different. We spend a lot of time sometimes learning the language of Christian. I like to call it Christianese. One of the most beautiful things I've ever heard as a student I had this year praying who did not know Christianese. He didn't know all the proper terminology he could have thrown out. He just honestly prayed to God. And it was absolutely beautiful. Because he didn't know we had lingo. He just knew God. Anyhow, that's what I have for you this morning. And I would challenge you, whenever possible, Take a moment to disciple someone whenever it's possible. It may be for a short period of time. It may be for a long period of time. But if you have the opportunity to show someone the right way to do something, how to live humbly before your God and to show mercy, do it. All right. If you can, without pain, would you please stand with me?
Father God, I praise you for who you are. I thank you for the gift that you give us, being able to be in relationship with you, Lord. I thank you that you call us your children. I pray that we wouldn't take that lightly, but that we would celebrate it, that it would give us joy and that we can share that joy with others. Not out of debt obligation, but out of zeal. Father God, anything I said that was of my own, I pray that people would quickly forget it and that your word would not return void as you've already promised. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. That brings us to our time of announcements, prayer, and sharing. And I'm going to pick on an elder, so. Hey, Chad, thanks. I appreciate you volunteering. Um, while he's coming up here, I'll go ahead and let you know, I met with the uh, local pastors on Friday night. We are doing a Palm Sunday service. Valley View will be hosting that at 7 o'clock. And it's going to be, I think, really great. I got to know some of the local pastors, and they really seem to have a heart for Jesus, and I'm really excited to worship with all of them. If you are able to, that's at 7 o'clock next Sunday night. Because we're hosting, whatever the hosting church is, they usually provide refreshments afterwards. I'm sorry. I got us looped into that on accident, but I think we are equipped. Oh, the Palm Sunday is the 28th. Thank you. Not next Sunday, the Sunday after. Wow. Thank you, Sue. On Palm Sunday itself, not the 21st. <laughs> anyway, no, on actual Palm Sunday, we are having a Palm Sunday service at 7 o'clock. If you need a ride, let me know. I want to see you here. Good morning. We'll take time for announcements. I'm getting signals from back there in the corner. Um, Carl Miller stopped this week and he asked if the church would do the food at their auction. And Judy already said yes. So, uh, if you have any ideas or, or just want to help, contact Judy. Not Chad, Judy. <laughs> <laughs> that will be the 27th of March. That's right. Saturday, the auction starts at 11, so I assume there'll be time for setup and all that good stuff. But, and as far as the funds, I think we'll decide where that goes. There's some some needs out there, and and if if it doesn't go for that, I, I don't know. I guess we need to talk about some of that before we decide. But um, if nothing else, okay, for sure. Well, we'll talk about that later. yeah, <laughs> de details will be coming as far as that goes. So, 
But if you're willing to help or, or have any good ideas for a menu, just let Judy know. Any other announcements? So that's May 15th. Keep that date open. Any other announcements? If not, we'll uh, transition to uh, praises, prayer requests. So Don Esch and I had a pretty long conversation as I was driving to Edinburgh. And I like to praise God for it. I found it incredibly encouraging. His back surgery went really well, and he's healing faster than the doctors thought he would, though not as fast as he thought he would. So he's still frustrated. And I can't even imagine what that would be. Or what's the other one? Bend. Yes, BLT. He's not allowed to bend, lift, or twist which means he's allowed to sit and he's allowed to lay down. So be praying for Don, because Don really wants to be, well, he wants to be Don. He wants to be doing his stuff. Um, but like I said, that was a very encouraging conversation, for sure. Um, and uh, we should also be praying for Mary, who's going through so many health concerns right now. Be praying for her family that they'll know how to be there for her while all this is going on as well and how we can help. And the sun is out. That's a praise. The sun is out in northwestern Pennsylvania. Anyone else?
Okay, pray for Sue's cousin, Evelyn. She has a shoulder replacement surgery on Tuesday. Sure. Willis's prayer request is that Regina uses her talents for the Lord. I think that. I think this was absolutely an appropriate time to speak. I, I think that was fine. We, that's something we should be doing. No, don't be sorry. <laughs> I, I affirm exactly what you said. We should have. That, that, that was your message, that we shouldn't go into things without, without praying, praying about it. For yeah. sure. So remember to pray for things, for Little decisions, big decisions for each one of us. We all need prayer for sure. <clears throat> Anyone else? If not, we'll ask Luke to come lead us in prayer. <clears throat> Again, um, if you can, without pain, please stand with us. Father God, I thank you so much for this fellowship of believers. I thank you for everything that they mean to me. I thank you for what they mean to you. I pray that you would help us to fervently desire to be your children and to show the world around us what that means. Father God, I pray that you would be with Mary with all of these health concerns and all these horrible things that she's having to go through, Lord. I pray that you would touch her, that you would bless her abundantly that you would comfort her, that you would let us know how to comfort her, Lord, that we would be able to cover her with prayer and encouragement. I pray that you would continue to be with Don as he's healing, Lord. I thank you that he's healing so well. I praise you that you're restoring him. Father God, I pray that you would give him patience. Father God, I thank you that Katie came to visit Sue and for the encouragement that family is. I bless you for the families that we have here, Lord. Pray that you would be with Sue's cousin Evelyn and her shoulder replacement, that you would be with the doctors, that you would give them wisdom, that you would give her a calm spirit, Lord. I pray for Regina. I thank you that she was able to participate in such a large venue and to showcase her talents, Lord. I pray that you would use those talents as only you can. Father God, I pray that you would draw us all closer to you, but especially Regina, that you would draw her so close that you would give her the desire to serve you with her talents, Lord. 
pray that you would bless the meal and the fellowship we have after service. I pray that we would be patient and loving with one another. That we would be in genuine, loving relationships with one another as your body. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Nancy, would you mind leading the singing this morning? The hymns? Oh, okay. Does, does anyone have a hymn picked out for us? Susie, you got a hymn picked out for us? 573. What is that exactly? What a friend we have in Jesus. Absolutely. Thank you, Sue.
genuinely love. 